Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. Thank you so much for joining us on Michigan Minds. I'm really excited to have the opportunity to talk with you today. So can you please introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your role at the University of Michigan? Certainly. First of all, thanks, Samantha, for inviting me to engage in this conversation. Uh, my name is Barry Rabe. I'm a professor in the Gerald Ford School of Public Policy. I also have courtesy appointments in the Department of Political Science and the School for Environment and Sustainability. And I'm a non-resident senior fellow at the Brookings Institution in Washington, D.C. Thank you. And in what areas does your research focus? I'm a political scientist. So when I look at issues like environment, energy, and in more recent years, climate change, I think about what is politically possible or feasible in a political system like the United States, Canada, the European Union, or globally. What's politically doable or feasible? And then I ask questions about durability. Do policies that we adopt by a Congress or a parliament at a given moment, do they last? Do they stick? Can they be implemented and be effective? So I like to talk about policy as a kind of a, of a life cycle process that begins with adoption of a policy, but then look at those policies over time and see how they fare with a particular specialization in recent period on, on climate issues. Wonderful, thank you. And so I wanna to talk to you about your recent paper, Carbon Pricing Enters Middle Age, which has recently been published by the Wilson Center. Can you first describe to us what carbon pricing is? Sure. So there are many ways that governments, societies, can try to reduce their carbon footprint, the emissions of carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases. One idea that's been developed over many decades and emerges largely from the discipline of economics is, as you note, carbon pricing. This, in effect, is putting a price, adding to the price of the use of a particular product, in this case, oil, coal, or fuel for electricity, other energy sources. And it can come through one of two forms. It can be a straightforward tax, a carbon tax, the way we tax uh, other commodities, like, like tobacco, like cigarettes, like alcohol, uh, or a system called cap and trade, which works much the same way, but allows kind of market-based principles to operate and to, and, and to work. Both of these tools are uh, economically driven, are designed to create incentives for using less of a commodity where we want to really make a transition, in this case, like fossil fuels. And so it's an idea, again, that's been thought about for a lot, discussed a lot. My question has been, can you take a great idea like this from economics, a really intriguing one, and make it operationalized, make it work in a political system like the United States? Thank you. So can you share with us some key findings or messages from your recent paper? Yes. And so in this case, the paper, Carbon Pricing Enters Middle Age, uh, is being published essentially on the fifth anniversary of a book that I wrote five years ago called Can We Price Carbon? And you'll note the question mark at the end of that. I was taking this really intriguing idea of carbon pricing from economics and as a political scientist asking over time, how has that kind of fared or played out? 
I talked about some of the really significant political challenges to putting that very price on carbon emissions and the possible political backlash or impediments to doing so in my book. And I looked at a few emerging examples, uh, cases, one from the United States and one from Canada, where we were beginning to see the idea develop. So in working with my colleagues at Wilson on this, we decided five years after writing a book, it was time to update. And so the focus of this new paper is to really reflect on what's happened since 2018 in the United States, but more globally with regard to this issue. Thank you. And you recently spoke at a major conference in DC regarding the issue of carbon border adjustments, which would link future carbon pricing to international trade. Can you talk a bit more about carbon adjustments, what the concept means and how it can be implemented in the near future? Sure. And the carbon border adjustment issue is a central focal point in the paper that we just mentioned, the new paper, because five years ago, that was more of a theoretical construct as opposed to a real policy idea that seemed to be advancing. So what we have seen in recent years is the emergence of kind of asymmetries between major trading partners, major nations, in terms of how they engage climate policy. In the US, there is no national carbon price. The carbon price is zero. No Congress has ever adopted a carbon tax or a national cap and trade system. But that's not true of our trade partners. In fact, about 40% of American trade is with either the European Union, the United Kingdom, or Canada, each of which has been developing a fairly significant, robust carbon pricing machine. They're all a little different. They've kind of grown by fits and starts. And so what do you do in a world where national level commitment to climate change is uneven. And it may create incentives for nations to do less because it's cheaper for them to produce and even export their goods. Enter carbon border adjustments, which again has been an idea like carbon clubs or coalitions forming around trade issues. Could you put a, a fee or a tariff on imported goods when they are being produced by nations that are not at the same level or commitment of climate policy as, as you are. In the case of the European Union, where the carbon price for much of the last couple of years has been between 80 to 100 euros a ton versus that carbon price of zero in the United States. Is it possible, or zero in other places around the world, is it possible to use trade and the terms of trade to make those adjustments? This is a very, very new area. And there's really only one key area of climate policy where we formally brought together trade and other regulatory tools. That's the really rapid transformation we're seeing in the arena of cooling sector chemicals under the Kigali Accords to transition away from hydrofluorocarbons. They're a huge reason why the United States has really come to the table with legislation and being part of this larger agreement is the U.S. does not, manufacturers don't want to lose access to global markets, which is woven in a trade provision and an environmental agreement. It's far too soon on carbon border adjustments to know exactly how this is going to work, whether the U.S. adjusts its position, what it might be doing. But this is one of the major developments that I examine in my paper. And part of it, Samantha, comes out of this very uneven or uneven pattern across nations or asymmetries and how far they have gone on the issue of carbon pricing. The EU 
recently made the decision to move ahead with the first carbon tax on imported goods from nations without a price. So how will this impact or affect trade with the U.S.? The European Union has indeed been much more active and aggressive on carbon pricing and other climate policy tools than the United States. And in part because of these uneven issues, not just between Europe and the United States, but Europe and nearly all of its trading partners, including China. There is this question of taking this carbon border adjustment tool and moving it from a theoretical consideration into a very specific policy. And indeed, as part of their new and expanding climate initiatives, and this has been a wrenching period for Europe because of the war in Ukraine, but they have really maintained a strong focus on climate policy. The authorities in the European Union are moving pretty aggressively to operationalizing this concept. Um, they're going to be collecting information on their trade from their trade partners over the next few years, but they are planning to launch the first global carbon border adjustment system. Um, this becomes really very, very significant, certainly for the United States, because this could have significant consequences for the U.S., although we're already seeing in the United States Senate different views on whether the U.S. should respond to this with its own domestic carbon price. We've seen senators like Sheldon Whitehouse from Rhode Island, uh, Chris Coons from Delaware thinking about these issues, Democrats, but we also see other legislators, including some Republicans, uh, like Kevin Kramer from North Dakota, uh, Senator Cassidy from Louisiana, beginning to argue another way to think about carbon border adjustment is not the carbon price, but the energy efficiency or the energy intensity of production, manufacturing things like steel and aluminum. So we're actually seeing a flurry of bills in the Senate. I don't think that they're going to pass anytime soon, but this issue has been joined. Could the U.S. develop its own carbon border adjustments focused not on the carbon price, but some measure of energy efficiency in the overall economy. All of this to be sorted out and really does represent a huge test of the ability of kind of nations to work effectively together. What would the global authorities be like? And yet a few years ago, this seemed like a remote idea and it's really emerged as a front and center consideration in climate policy, in large part because the Europeans have pushed the issue and have the carbon pricing to back it up with potential partners and their part in the United Kingdom and in Canada and other nations around the world that are taking these ideas seriously. Thank you. This week, you will attend a conference hosted by the Wilson Center about carbon pricing and energy transition. Can you share a bit about this event and a few key topics you'll be highlighting? Yes, uh, the Wilson Center is a really remarkable place to encourage research. They actually provided a fellowship at the early stages of my book several years ago and really know how to convene um, thoughtful and robust international conversations. And so the idea on this, along with the release of my paper, was to bring together scholars, policymakers from diverse settings and have a conversation looking at the future development of carbon pricing. Uh, this will include representation from the European Union, a fine scholar from Canada, an international authority. And so is a, a part of an ongoing effort by the Wilson Center, but other think tanks to really begin to think through and engage these issues, which climate change, you know, we often talk about as a, a national or even a localized concern as we should, 
but inevitably the United States will need to find ways to cooperate in constructive ways with Europe, but also other nations around the world as we make these shifts and changes if we're going to be successful in staving off the greatest threats from climate change. So this will be part of that kind of ongoing set of conversations at the Wilson Center. Dr. Rabe, as the conversation comes to a close, we like to ask faculty, what is one thing you hope listeners remember from our conversation today? Well, if I might squeeze two in, uh, one is that we actually have made some progress in this arena. Just the arena of climate policy has advanced to some extent in the United States in recent years, particularly the last couple of years. But also this issue of carbon pricing is challenging as it has been politically we've seen some really significant advances. The nations that I've mentioned, extending this policy to other uh, climate pollutants like hydrofluorocarbons and methane. So we've really made some progress and yet the challenges remain to effectively implement existing policies and make sure they're durable and then begin to weave together these different initiatives in a more global effort to confront this challenge. So if I might be permitted a, a sort of a, a two-point response to your question, one, progress is being made. We should celebrate that and learn from it, but we should never assume game is over and resolved on an issue like climate change. And is there anything else you would like to share? Um, I do think that an, a theme of my research and my teaching has been looking at politics and how we take an issue like politics or thinking about politics and weigh issues of climate, which can often seem overwhelming, daunting, at times even hopeless, but that there are many, many ways for individuals, for communities to consider constructive ways to, to contribute to this issue. And my hope would be, you know, in our coming conversations at the Wilson Center and even this new paper, one can look at a tool like carbon pricing, which has proven so contentious, especially in the United States, and yet to begin to see ways in which it is being used, it is moving forward, and could be part, if not the solution, part of the solution. Well, Dr. Rabe, it has been an absolute honor to talk with you today. So thank you for joining us on Michigan Life. Thanks so much for the questions and the conversation, Samantha. I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.